Uh, hi, uh, I'm Chris, as uh, Eric has just shared. Uh, so great to be with you this morning at the bridge. It's just a real encouragement and joy to be able to serve together and bring God's word to you. I wish I was with you in person, but uh, COVID is here. And so we have to make do with Zoom, but uh, really it is such a privilege and a pleasure to be with you this morning. Let me just pray for us as we get into God's word together. Father, we, we need you. We really recognize that you are the God of all of our lives. You're the God who, who created everything. You're the one who speaks to us. You're the one who wants us to change and to be more like you. And you call us into relationship with yourself. And I pray even this morning, wherever we are, that your word would come to us. It would encourage us. It would challenge us. It would leave us more in love with you so that we go away, not just focused on ourselves, but really rejoicing in what an incredible savior we've had. So I pray, uh, use my words to bring hope and life and encouragement to people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. I don't know if you have read or watched any tragedies before. Tragedies like Shakespeare's Hamlet, or maybe a more modern day version, of, uh, a Schindler's List by Steven Spielberg. But Genesis 3 to 11 is a tragedy. And the thing about tragedies is they're not designed to depress you with this tale of uh, terrible things happening in people's lives. It's designed so that you look at the story that is going on and you say, I don't want my life to be like that. I want to live differently. So it puts a mirror on you to show you how not to live so that in your life you learn to make good decisions and good choices that are facing you. So the question that Genesis brings to us is, is your story, is your life a tragedy or a glory? Are you living according to God's beautiful design for your life? Or are you living in a way that distorts and defaces the image of God that he's placed on you, both for you individually and as a community at the bridge? Well, Genesis is supposed to shape how you answer that question. So I've got three things we're going to look at today, classically. Uh, we're going to look at the pattern of Genesis 3 to 11. We're then going to look through at the reality, and then we're going to look at uh, really the promise that comes through. So uh, join with me. We're going to particularly look in Genesis 3 and 4 this morning. But just by way of background, the pattern that God sets up is God creates humans in his image to rule as his image bearers over the animals, over the earth, to fill and subdue it. And Jesus, just as um, God, just, who is just as God, the great king, has taken chaos and emptiness in the world and he has brought order and he has filled it with beauty and abundance. So then he then makes us in his image to rule just as he does. And when he rules, he brings flourishing life. Everything is there for flourishing. And he calls humans to be his co-partners in taking the potential of this world and developing and expanding it throughout to the ends of the earth. 
And what he wants is that to be further flourishing. And it's amazing that God isn't a micromanager in this partnership. What he does, he brings the animals to Adam and he calls them God, uh, Adam to name the animals. Uh, so this is the way that he begins to rule and begins to shape things. And the whole basis of this partnership between the creator God and humans made in his image is intimate relationship, intimate trusting relationship. And then this comes in Genesis 3, the test of this partnership. And with a test, you can look at it two ways. But really, a, a test is not just a, a negative thing. A test is an opportunity for you to grow deeper in a relationship, in a trust. And God brings one word. He says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden or you'll die. What he's saying is, I've given you a million trees. Now trust me with this one. You see, he says, don't be wise and seek to be wise for yourself, thinking you can be autonomous in what you think is right and wrong, but allow me to be the one that you rely on for these decisions. And so the serpent comes with an alternative word. He says, don't trust what God has said. He's holding something back from you. You can't trust him because he's being restrictive. You won't die. You'll become like God if you eat from this tree. Let it go, as Frozen will tell you. Focus on the one thing you don't have and not on the million beautiful, pleasant, pleasing trees that God has given you for food. Isn't that just like much of our complaining? We focus on the one thing we don't have, and we fail to see all the incredible blessings that we do have. And we then can often end up going, God, you're not fair to us. And what we do is we begin to look elsewhere to satisfy us. This is how sin works. It starts with a lie about God, doubting that his word and his ways are really good for us. And then you see an alternative way to trust your ideas and not God's. Because what we see is at that moment, once the lie had begun to work its way into Eve, she saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired or coveted, it says, to make one wise. You see, sin is not Satan placing a dirty needle in your face saying, inject yourself with this. No, sin is attractive. Sin looks satisfying. Sin captures your eyes, your imagination, your desires, and it doesn't let go. You know, my, um, my 16-month son is not allowed in our kitchen because it's dangerous in there. But he loves to stand in the way of temptation. What he does, he, he knows he can't go in, but he'll sit at the entrance of the kitchen and he'll slide the door back and forward. And the longer he looks, the, you can see the greater the temptation to go in is. But he's smart 
So what he does, he goes away and gets one of his toys and then he comes back to the door and he opens it and shuts it one more time and then he throws his toy inside. And then he looks and goes, oh, my toy's in the kitchen. I've just got to go in and get it. And there he is, right, jumps inside. And that's exactly how sin works. You see, it captures your eyes, captures your mind, captures your heart, until you start to use any means to grab for yourself what you desire. And in so doing, he's not only self-deceiving himself, he's not deceiving himself, but that self-deception leads to him also trying to deceive us by looking innocent. Well, what you see is the woman, as she has been captured, she takes of its fruit and she eats. And then she gives some to her husband who is with her and he eats. It's really interesting. Sin never stays alone. Once desire has captured you, you will draw other people into your orbit and sin's orbit and its effects begin to ripple out. What does it result in? Internal breakdown. They become insecure, they become shamed, they become guilty and fearful. They're no longer working to uh, flourish the earth and go and fill it outwardly. Now it's all about self-preservation, covering themselves up with pitiful fig leaves. Just inward and insular. It's not just internal breakdown, it's also spiritual breakdown, a relationship with God. Instead of enjoying God and moving toward him, they hear the sound of God, literally the voice of God, walking in the garden. They hear him coming, calling to them, and they run away. He's desiring relationship, and they're hiding from him. God's presence is no longer a joy, but a threat to them. They think his word is to stifle them, to restrict them, to expose them, to punish them. And so they want to put barriers in the way. And as they turn their back on God, so God visibly seals their act by removing them from the garden of his most intimate presence. They had turned their back on God first. And it's not just internal. It's not just spiritual breakdown. But then the relationships between each other begin to break down. They start blame shifting. Now they're not just covering themselves with fig leaves, but with denial and defensiveness. Who gave you the fruit? It was the woman you gave me. Who, who's, whose fault was it? It's hers. Ultimately, actually, it's yours, God, because you gave her to me. You know, it's fascinating. When people say, why did God even put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden in the first place when he knew they would fall? The thing is, behind that question, there is an accusation, which is going, God, it's your fault that the world is messed up the way it is. And instead of us seeing testing as an opportunity, a gift to grow deeper in relationship and trust, we sin and then we say, God, why did you put that there? You're not good. We can't trust you. It's right at the heart of Satan's lie. You see, sin never lives alone. It's never a private affair. It's not about breaking a rule. Primarily, it's about breaking our relationship with God. And that overflows to others. 
So when you see injustice, unkindness, when you see impatience, when you see uh, anger, unforgiveness in your horizontal relationships, you know that that is always the problem and the fruit of a problem with your vertical relationship with God. You have believed some lie and you've been captured by desire and now you're seeing the fruit of it. That's the pattern of how sin works. Now let's have a look at the reality. You see, all that can sound a little bit abstract, right? We don't have talking snakes, do we? I don't personally get very tempted by just eating fruit from trees. That's not my weakness. But Genesis 4 to 11 really are about this spiral of moving further and further east away from God's presence. And how we can't just blame Adam and Eve for all of our problems today. We can't just say, all my problems are because of my parents. It's partly true. But what Adam and Eve, they set in motion every single day we replay in our lives. You see, we live, you live, I live constantly in front every single day of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're going to see this all the way through uh, Genesis. You're going to see this in the flood story, humans violently destroying themselves and each other. God cleanses the world and starts again. You see Noah then gets drunk. And finally you get to Babel, Babylon in Hebrew. And what do you see again? Humans trying to exalt themselves. They don't trust that God will protect them. And the lie that starts in Genesis 3 works all the way out to Babel and all the way out into our lives today. And the question that comes to us is, who will you trust? Whose word today are you trusting? Now, I want to show you the reality of how this works out from Genesis 4 and how that plays into our lives today. So if you've got um, Genesis 4 with you, this is Cain and Abel's story. Famous. Two brothers, both farmers. Abel raises cows. Cain grows broccoli. And both of them offer a sacrifice to God. Abel brings the best steak he can. Cain just grabs some broccoli from the field and brings it to them. And Cain, while Abel is bringing the best that he can, the fat parts, Cain, we don't know, nothing is mentioned about whether what his offering was about, whether it was really that good or not. But afterwards, Cain looks at his, social, his brother's social media account and God has given him a ton of likes. And then he looks at his own social media accounts and he sees God didn't give him any. And he doesn't know why. And what do you think's going round in his mind? He's starting to get jealous. He's starting to get angry. He's starting to go, this isn't fair. Anyone felt like that? Ever compared yourself to someone else? Have you ever looked at someone else's life and gone, it's not fair? Why is their husband far more involved in their family than mine is? Or why do they get all the great breaks in life, the promotions, the successful things, but I don't? Why are my kids so much more rebellious than theirs? It's not fair. Friends, that is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil moment. 
Behind that, we were believing a lie that God, you're not good. God, you don't love me. I'm an orphan. I can't trust you with my life right now. All the blessings that we have, we focus on the one thing we don't have. And here's the test for Cain. It's a doorway to either deepen his relationship with God or a path to let jealousy and anger rule to lead him to destruction. And what happens? Well, it says, God came to him. The Lord said to Cain, just think about that. Isn't it gracious for God to come right in the midst of his scowling face? God could just leave him just to stew in his anger, but he doesn't. He's calling him back to relationship and trust. And he says, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Why are you just looking miserable right now? And you know, when God asks you a question, it isn't because he doesn't know the answer. Do you remember in the garden, he goes to Adam, where are you? He's not asking that because he's lost him. He doesn't need more information. God knows everything. Why does he ask a question? It's because he wants to expose your heart to you. You see, he wants to help you self-reflect so you begin to see there's an issue deep down in here and yet you begin to then confess and find restoration in that relationship again. Because God's going, I want to accept you confess, repent, see what's going on. And I want to accept you. He says this, if you do well, if you do good, same word as in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, will you not be accepted? If you do good, well, sin is, if you do not do good or well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. You must rule over it. He's going, do good according to what I say, not according to what you think right now. If you don't, sin is crouching like a tiger. And when a tiger is crouching, what is it about to do? It's about to pounce. It's about to eat you alive. And what is he saying? He's saying, don't let it. He's saying, here's how you're going to rule as my image bearer. Shut the door. Don't open the door to that anger. Rule over it with my word by trusting me. Even though you don't fully get everything that's going on right now, allow me to reveal your heart and what's going on and bring you back to me. And what does Cain do in response? He trusts in his own wisdom and he kills his brother. It's the first promised physical human death that God has said, you're going to die. The first death comes not at the hands of God. It comes at the hand of another human being, of someone's brother. And you know what God does? God comes again with another question. He comes again. Like, just think, how many chances do we need? God's not going, though, uh, three strikes and you He comes again with a question. He wants to restore him. And he says, where is Abel your brother? Before Adam, it's where are you? Now it's where is Abel? Because God's continually wanting to draw us back. You know, um, just on Monday, I was preparing this sermon. And um, I had a ton of stuff, uh, other things on that day. And my wife was in a cafe opposite me while I was working. And... 
she didn't have that much to do, so she started asking me some questions about things. And uh, I was trying to concentrate, and internally I was getting more and more frustrated, but I was trying to be a good husband, and I was holding my tongue, and I was letting her talk. And the more questions she asked, the more frustrated I was getting. And I could have just said, hey, can we just, um, like, can I ask, answer you, like, in a few minutes? But, but I didn't, because I couldn't be bothered to. Instead, my anger and my frustration just built and built and built, until finally I just snapped at her. And as you can guess, that probably didn't go down very well. And so she felt hurt and offended that I was just kind of lashing out at her. So she walked off and as I was there and I had to walk home, God started tapping me on the shoulder going, where are you? Why are you angry? And you know, what was going on in my mind, all I could think about is, it's not fair. I've got so little time. It's like, doesn't she know how much I've got to do? How can she be so insensitive? She's my problem. Pity party. I've got a sermon to prepare about the, tree, the, the knowledge of the tree, about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and how it operates. And she's interrupting me. And suddenly I realized I was doing exactly what Adam was doing. I was doing exactly what Cain did. When I think that life is just unfair, I was actually saying, God, you're unfair. This is the woman you gave me right now, and I don't like it. You're not good. And I'd allowed sin to begin to rule over my heart. And God was in that moment graciously coming to me, trying to expose my heart, trying to restore me and rescue me from me from covering myself with fig leaves by just justifying all of my anger in my mind. And as you see God comes, instead of confessing what happens to Cain, he gets defensive, like me, again. He denies his issue. God says, where is Abel your brother? And he says, how should I know? But God says, okay, if you're not willing to confess, the voice of your brother and of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Your brother is confessing and calling for justice to be done right now. He's saying you can't cover this up. And judgment comes and it results in curse. It results in restlessness. It results in insecurity and more breakdown. And Cain goes further east out of God's presence. And as he is now further away from God, he is more insecure, work becomes harder, he becomes fearful that people are going to kill him, that he's going to get a taste of his own medicine. And so God says to him, you deserve it, don't you? That's what you wanted, right? I'm just giving you what you want. No, he doesn't. He comes in grace to him again. And God says, I'll protect you. This is uh, verse 15 of chapter 4. It says, And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. What he's saying is, trust me, I'm going to protect you. Do you see, my heart is continually wanting you to flourish, even though you're resisting me continually. And do you know what God, uh, what Cain does? Though God's come again. In his insecurity, he refuses to listen again. He refuses to trust in God's protection. And he builds, it says in verse 17, he builds a city to protect himself. 
You see, his work's no longer about filling and subduing the earth going outwards. It's all about security and self-preservation. And the tragedy continues all the way to chapter 11. Because in chapter 11, what do you get? Insecure humans, they don't want to be scattered and fill the earth where they've got to trust God with that feeling of just, I don't know what's going to happen, but God, I've got to rely on you. They don't want that. They want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. Just like us, right? We want to feel like we're in control of our world. And what has COVID done? It's blown us apart. But that's what's happened. And at Babel, at Babylon, what are they doing? They build themselves another city and a tower to exalt themselves so that they can feel secure. They can trust in themselves in their way and not have to trust in God because that feels so much more insecure. And God's just judgment comes to them again. And that's the constant pattern of your life and my life and everybody uh, since Genesis 3. We need rescue. And you know what happens? If we allow ourselves like Cain for the anger, the jealousy, the comparison, So just fester. If I don't come in confession and repentance back to a gracious God, if I live constantly going, hey, it's their problem, like my marriage is just their problem, my my work is just their problem, it's just my kids, it's just the circumstances, it's just everything else. When I do that, my marriage, my relationships, drip by drip by drip, will just begin to unravel all the way to destruction. You know, uh, your heart just begins to harden as you walk further and further away from God's presence. My former pastor, he used to say it like this, no one falls away from God. We just walk away from him one small step at a time. That is the message of Genesis 4 to 11. But in the midst of that, God comes to us, to you, to someone like me with grace. You know, if I were me, oh, sorry, if I were God, I would have given up on me a long time ago. I would have given up on Cain. I would have given up on each one of us, but God doesn't. He knows where you are right today. And so here's the question. Where's your tree of the knowledge of good and evil right now? Some of you have sat right at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil a long, long time looking at it. Maybe you've allowed anger and bitterness to fester in your heart. Maybe in your mind you've just replayed conversations and wounds from others. You've let bitterness grip you. Maybe some of us, we've allowed jealousy and comparison. Every time you go on social media, other people's lives, other people's gifts, other people's success, just to rob you of the joy that God wants for you. And God in his grace and mercy, he's not trying to hit you over the head. He's coming to you today and he's saying, where are you? Why are you angry? Where are you in your marriage? Where are you with your parents? Where are you with your fellow church members? Where are you with your kids? Where are you towards me? Will you trust me with your current circumstances, with the insecurities that you feel, with the uncertainty that you feel, will you trust me that I'm good and you can hold on to me and my word because I am faithful? Because that's the way to the tree of life. You know, religious activity is not enough to cover you. 
No amount of praying and serving or reading your Bible can alter a heart that trusts in itself. Don't think coming to church or giving offering by itself gives you any standing before God when he says, where are you? He doesn't care in one sense about that for the basis of your relationship with him. That's the fruit. It's not the basis. All of that can be a fig leaf, which if that's all you've got, it will easily get blown away by the wind and you'll be left naked. And God says, quit your fig leaves. I've got something way better for you. Will you now trust me in the real stuff of your life? And man, this is hard, right? This is really hard. Who's going to liberate us from our own self-deception? Well, there's a promise. This is the final thing. Genesis 3 contains the promise of a savior. It says it like this in 3 verse 15. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's saying there's going to be a battle between the seed, a child of the woman, and the seed, the children of the serpent. The serpent seed are those who trust and exalt themselves like Babylon, like Cain, like Adam. But that seed, they will bruise the heel. They will be wounding. But the woman's seed, a child who trusts in God, is going to bruise and crush the head of the serpent. That liar who deceives us all the time. And you know, the story of scripture shows us who that seed is. It's a child who does for humanity what humanity couldn't do for itself. It's one who's going to be stripped naked on a cross so that we could be cut. And as the Lord sees Adam and Eve's nakedness, he says, he makes garments of skin. He doesn't make little flimsy fig leaves. No, he's going to make true clothes that cover your own insecurity, your own fears, whatever they are right now, the own shame of whatever you've got in your closet. He says, I can cover you for all of those things. So you can be truly vulnerable, truly naked and unashamed, truly open and honest with others in your community. No need to hide. How do you get there? Or to get the skin of an animal, an animal has to die. And for your sins and mine to be covered so securely, someone had to die. Blood had to be shed. That's the amazing gospel message. That the story shows that the serpent's rule over us was smashed underfoot by Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus came not just to forgive you for your sin. He came to clothe you from your insecurity, your shamefulness. He came to free you to flourish. Do you know that Jesus is more concerned about liberating you from fear and insecurity than you are? That's why he brings these to Do you know he died to free you from the craving need to be respected and to be prove yourself? He died to cover the trail of devastation we leave, and instead he wants to leave and make your life a trail of gospel blessing and flourishing to all the people around you. That's why he's calling you right now to trust him. So where's your tree of the knowledge of good and evil right now? Because right next door, if you duck under the branches of that tree, is a tree of life waiting for you. A tree which doesn't leave you with the blood of Abel or your spouse or your own self-centered insecurity on your hands. 
He gives you a new chance, a new life. You know, when Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body at communion, he was giving us a different tree on offer. He was saying, I can cover you. Eat here, not from that other tree. There is forgiveness and grace waiting for you. You know, I could preach this sermon to you, as I was going to do from Monday, and I could be all religious about it. And if my wife, if my heart was still hard towards my wife, it would mean absolutely nothing. But praise God for his grace, because he comes and he melted my heart. You know, after a few moments silence, I went home and I confessed to God where actually I wasn't trusting him with this tiny little thing in my life. And as I did that and I received his forgiveness and that gave me the strength to actually confess after a few moments of silence, confess to my wife that I put myself before her. And there was this joy in Christ's forgiveness. My wife was also freed from holding my sin over me because she also recognized that she had received grace from God to cover her. And there's so much freedom when you can be honest and restoration began to take place in my relationship. You know, some of us, we know we've messed up. We know we have been broken and you feel like, is restoration truly possible? You have these words that continually come to you, condemning you, pointing out to you the things that you've done. But Hebrews 12 says this, the sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There is power in his blood to remove the deepest stain, to break through the most hardened relational issue you have in your life, the spot you cannot remove, the insecurity you feel. And maybe you go but you don't know what I've done. And Jesus says, I know it. Maybe you go, but it's worse than you think. And he says, I know it all. And you go, but I, but I can't get out of it. I keep screwing up and messing up in these areas. And he says, let me help you. And you go, but aren't you gonna punish me for doing what I've done? He says, I've taken your punishment. Then why is my life so hard sometimes? He says, can you trust me that I'm leading you? to the tree of life, that right now is a doorway, not to hurt and pain and, and just destroying your life. It's a doorway that I'm leading you in so that you come to trust and be free so that you can radiate my flourishing and my blessing to those around you. This is what God wants in your life. This is what God wants in the bridge as a community right now. So where are you today? Let me just pray for us. Father, we just want to thank you that your blood is enough to cover us. Father, I pray for those who right now, as you're coming to them, saying, where are you? There are some of us who I know are a long way away. Some of us, it's been years that we've been like Cain. God's been tapping on our shoulder and we've just lived, uh, turning our back, deafening our ears. And yet, Father, you come again to them today. And I pray that today will be a day where their ears are unstopped, their heart stops looking at everybody else and every other problem, but comes empty-handed and says, Father, expose me, that you may heal me. I pray, Father, for those who right now are really struggling in their relationships. I pray, Lord, 
that your grace would just come and minister to them right now. I pray that you would show them that even in the, the struggle to trust you, that you are leading them to a tree of life, even though it's hard right now. I pray, Lord, that as a community, the bridge will be so open and real and honest about their pains and their struggles, that they would find not just that they're perfect people, but they would find the healing, restoring grace. I pray for marriages right now. I pray that where there's been tension, Lord, that there would be initiative taken to move towards one another in confession of real listening ears, to not just defend, but to just be open because we know we've been covered. We've got nothing to lose, nothing to prove. So Lord, please bless your people in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.